Suffrix, it's your boy Marty here to introduce RIP 395 of TFTC. I just sat down with Dr. Sabine Hazen, who's a microbiome specialist. We talked about COVID and the vaccine's effect on the microbiome and how that may be sending signals that it's not really great for our gut bacteria, which plays a very important role in our immune systems. Uh, needless to say, this one will not be on YouTube. So if you're listening to this, it's not on YouTube. Thank you for listening. And thank you for participating in the value for value model. If you are, we have a few episodes to catch up on to read the top four boostograms of the last four reps. Uh, we'll start with number 394, Warrior Cultures, the friendship, true friendship, excuse me, Bitcoin and Austrian economics with Alex Vetsky. Great conversation. Top boost at Eric99. 50,000 sats. Thanks for the great content. Thank you, Eric, for supporting the show. At Garth, 20,000 sats. Don't follow, don't mellow out too much, Svetsky. The angst is entertaining. I agree. At Mark C, 1,776 sats. Running a node. Do you want to be able to make a decision for yourself and follow through yourself? Or do you want to make a decision yourself and depend on a stranger to follow through? Very good insight. At Mark C came in at the number four boost too, 1,776 sats with just a fire emoji. Uh, moving along to rip 393, value for value music with Sam and Michael from Wave Lake. Eric 99, number one boost again, 50,000 sats. V for V, value for value. Shout out to you, Eric. At Mary Oscar, shout out to Oscar, co-founder of the Fountain app, where I'm reading these from. 10,000 sats, awesome to see Wave Lake launch. Lightning pulled emoji. At the Tone Wrecker, a boo boost, 8,008 sats, spreading the signal. Great to expand the education to new possibilities emerging for music. Go Sam and Michael. Appreciate their acknowledgement of podcasting index, excuse me, podcastindex.org, building an incredible foundation for value for value platform over the past few years. And at Owen Lewis, 2,000 sats, great rip. Really excited to see what Sam and Michael are able to do with Wave Lake. I'll be following the project closely. O-R-I-C, Rebel 1 to number 1. And last but not least, RIP 392, resisting online surveillance with Victor from IVPN. At Blockchain Bug, 2,500 sats. VPNs are cool but annoying when sites you need to use block them. I agree. I agree. It is a bit annoying when that happens, but still worth it to use a VPN. At Vake, 2,000 sats. Marty Bent is my spirit animal. Thank you, Vake. Wish I could say the same. At killed by BTC, 500 sats, three-year IVPN user. I still fucking love it, especially after the Asian server expansion. Keep fighting the good fight. And at MGB256, 256 sat boosts. Great episode. Seems like many Bitcoiners are Monero curious. Yeah. IVPN accepts Monero. This room was brought to you by our good friends at River. River is a Bitcoin exchange built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And stays true to Bitcoin's ethos of leveraging its native properties to build a financial product of the future. River uses multi-sig for their cold storage. They don't have any trusted third parties on the Bitcoin acquisition side. They handle all of that, handle their wallet infrastructure. So if you're buying Bitcoin on River and you hold it there, which they don't recommend, they recommend that you move it to cold storage that you control. But if you do have Bitcoin on River, you know that it's in a multi-sig wallet that is 100% reserved 
backed, no rehypothecation. If you dollar cost average using River, you don't pay any fees. They're going to waive the trading fees or the purchasing fees if you DCA. Uh, they have mining services if you want to buy an ASIC and have it hosted by River. You can do that there. And then they have the River Lightning Services, which is an API, which will allow you to build apps on the Lightning Network if you're a developer. Use the code, or excuse me, go to river.com slash TFTC, sign up. You may have your exchange already, but is it Bitcoin only? Is it doing things the right way? River is. I've been a happy River user for for years. If you sign up using river.com slash TFTC, after you buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, you're going to get $20 worth of Bitcoin for free. It's a beautiful thing. River.com slash TFTC. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hall at Unchained Capital. Unchained is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This is personified with their Vault product, which is the two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys. Unchained holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin. Unchained's always there if you ever need somebody to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. They have a white glove concierge service. Go to unchained.com slash concierge. Set up a consultation with their onboarding team. They'll get you set up. They'll get you comfortable multi-sig. They'll send you hardware wallets. They'll teach you how to set those up, back them up, geographically distribute them, and then they'll set up the vault with you. You put Bitcoin in there. That's a beautiful thing. You eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. If you're an individual, high net worth individual, family office, business, looking to secure your Bitcoin, hit up unchained.com slash concierge. Check out their trading desk as well, their IRA product, their loan desk. They got it all. Unchained.com slash concierge. Enjoy this threat, freaks. Very illuminating. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here for a very exciting episode. I'm sitting down with uh, Dr. Sabine Hazen, who I came across last week while listening in on a Project Veritas Twitter spaces. And Dr. Hazen, I think uh, what you were discussing in that space is just something I had not come across. You've been talking about the ramifications of the COVID vaccine on the show for a couple of years now, and your domain expertise is microbiomes within humans and and you said that you have seen a disruption in human microbiomes uh, after the rollout of these vaccines is that correct correct and so before we dive into exactly what you're seeing uh, in terms of people's microbiomes being disturbed by the vaccine I, I think maybe to start just talking about the concept of microbiomes more more broadly, I think this is a subject that uh, many people are a bit uh, ignorant to, right? these these microbiomes that exist in our bodies and how they interact with us as humans. So the microbiome is essentially, you know, uh, a way of looking at a group of microbes that interact with each, with each other, essentially. So bacteria, fungus, viruses, 
you know, all basically living in the bowels of humans, right? And those microbes are obviously gathered from the outside, right? We're exposed to microbes all day long. We touch the soil and there's trillions of microbes in the soil. You eat a fruit and there's trillions of microbes in that fruit. You eat a yogurt and there's trillions of microbes in that yogurt. Um, so essentially there's a lot of microbes that are pretty much in our foods, around us, surrounding us. Uh, and we only know a few of them, right? There's only a few that we've kind of like tackled and said, you know, this one's a bad bug and this one's a good bug. But really, when you start looking at the microbiome, you realize that there's no such thing as a good bug or a bad bug. It's really all about the balance of these bugs. And it's all about their function, right? So every single bug has a utility, right? Kind of like every human on the planet has a utility, right? Not everybody could be plumbers, not everybody could be accountants, right? So everybody has a job that's being done that makes the planet continuing to go and, and, and continuing to move on. If you look at a microscopic picture into the gut, into the microbiome, each one of these groups of microbes have a function, right? So you look at, you know, the ruminococcus are doing something, the clostridiums are doing something, the bacteroides are doing something. So when you alter that balance and you get rid of a bunch of microbes, uh, especially ones that were potentially your immunity, because immunity starts in the gut, um, then you have to kind of say, well, maybe that's why, you know, I got an infection. Maybe I have an imbalance because the microbes that were supposed to be giving me immunity are no longer there. Or the microbes that were supposed to digest my foods are no longer there. Or the microbes that are, you know, uh, absorbing my vitamin Bs are no longer there, right? So we really have to start thinking of the microbiome as not only the bugs that are causing the problems and overgrown and causing uh, dysbiosis, but also the lost microbes, right? And I think to me, what we lose in our microbiome is more important than what we have overgrown because what we lost is what we lost our immunity. And so when you start looking at the microbiome of humanity and you start looking at you know, COVID and the pandemic, I started realizing that, you know, when you look at patients with COVID, the number one risk factors were, you know, obesity, over um, uh, aging process and comorbidities like autoimmune processes, patients with cancer, etc. And so looking at those people, you know, and you look at the microbiome and I was doing microbiome research before the pandemic. So I kind of, you know, had an insight on what those microbiomes looked like. And when you see people that are super healthy, they have a completely different microbiome than the people that are that have these comorbidities, right? So, you know, again, questioning the idea of maybe the loss of microbes and the imbalances really created a problem and got us into problems with COVID to begin with. And so that was my research. That was my hypothesis from the beginning. And then you know, through that, uh, you know, came to find COVID in the stools first, because that was the most important piece of the puzzle we needed to figure out at the beginning of the pandemic. So we had already stools that we had collected from March 2020. And we discovered that COVID was in the stools of these patients um, that were symptomatic. And um, so that was the first discovery, the whole genome sequence of COVID. 
The second discovery was really looking at patients with severe COVID compared to patients who were exposed to COVID and high risk and realized that there were a key a group of microbes that were really prominent and almost, I don't want to say protective, but almost, you know, wondering if that's not a susceptibility marker, right? So the severe COVID had, for example, zero bifidobacteria. And I mentioned bifidobacteria because that's a bacteria that's present in your probiotics and your, your, in your good yogurts. And then the severe the non-severe but high-risk exposed asymptomatic negative for COVID, non-vaccinated, had high bifidobacteria. So that was the first thing was, wow, so bifidobacteria, I should really pay attention to the bifidobacteria, right? Because one, it's a trillion-dollar industry of probiotics. So obviously, it's got a role in immunity because we've made such a big deal out of it selling all these probiotics, right? And then the second thing was the difference between, you know, the babies had so much bifidobacteria and the old people had so little. So even the process of aging was loss of bifidobacteria. And then from there, discovering vitamin C increased the bifidobacteria. And then ivermectin being very similar to bifidobacteria in the sense that it's from the same phylum, the same group of microbes. You know, ivermectin is a fermented product of a bacteria called streptomyces. And so, you know, when I looked up streptomyces being from the same phylum, actinobacteria, as bifidobacteria, I said to myself, maybe one feeds the other, right? Because in the world of the microbiome, it's all about, you know, microbes together, right? So it's always one suppresses one microbe, one increases another microbe, one feeds another. You know, I mean, it's all about that relationship between microbes, really. And so when I saw that, I said, maybe that's why ivermectin is working in my patients. And remember, I was doing the clinical trials on ivermectin doxycycline with the FDA watching me. So I was seeing, you know, I lost no one on the pandemics, even on the pandemic, even though I was running the clinical trials, placebo controlled trials, where, you know, one group was getting ivermectin doxycycline, the other one was getting nothing. And then, and, and those people, you know, and basically no one died. I, you know, I monitored those patients as soon as their oxygen started dropping because they were probably on placebo um, or whatever they were on because I didn't know I was blinded. Then right away, I would treat these folks with how I knew to treat with ivermectin and also added other products like hydroxychloroquine, ZPAC, you know, because these people's oxygen started dropping and they didn't want to go to the hospital. So when I started treating people with low oxygen and one after the other, they survived. And in fact, I started posting on Twitter the before and after. I mean, imagine the confidence of a physician to ask your patient that's crashing to take a picture of his oximeter, right? And then also to see that oximeter going up after treatment, knowing that it was going to go up. Like in my gut, I knew these patients were going to be fine. You know what I mean? So to me, you know, having when I saw that, I started publishing the paper that ivermectin helped patients with hypoxia. And then from there, ivermectin combination therapy, because it's not a one drug at this level. When your oxygen is low, you got to push, put everything in the fire to turn it off. Um, and then from there, I started looking at the microbiome of patients that were vaccinated before and after vaccination. And, you know, the first focus again was, what's the bifidobacteria doing? And when I started seeing that bifidobacteria was dropping, 
post-vaccination, I started asking myself a question. Well, is this why people are catching COVID after being vaccinated? Are they dropping their immunity? If we assume that, you know, bifidobacteria is a big component of your immunity in the gut, is this the reason these people are having COVID? Is this the reason these people are having problems, um, neurological problems? You know, doctors on the front line of treating patients, you know, were noticing CMV encephalitis, CMV, uh, I mean, uh, herpes encephalitis, uh, ALS, Parkinson's, and they all were questioning the short, because it was such short term after the vaccine, they were all, all these neurologists would call me and say, what do you think? I'm seeing CMV encephalitis. Do you think it's from the vaccine? And I'm like, well, it's possible because I, I've done clinical trials. I've done like 300 plus clinical trials between me and my sisters. And, you know, the number one rule of thumb is essentially do, you know, once you have a side effect, like a person is dying or a person is having a neurological problem post-vaccination, you have to report it, especially within the month, because that's called a serious adverse event, and that needs to be reported. So basically, that's been my path. Uh, I started being very concerned when I started seeing the microbiome of babies, and probably why I started becoming more vocal and more on all those spaces, because I was seeing that the bifidobacteria of babies born to moms who were vaccinated and breastfed uh, was affected. So, you know, babies are supposed to have 90% bifidobacteria in their guts, and these babies were born with zero. And so, that's when I started speaking and I started coming out because if you wait for me to publish the data, um, you know, a lot of people are going to die and, and the future of humanity is bleak. So, you know, I went, I came out talking about my research, my preliminary findings and basically saying, look, prove me wrong. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But right now what I'm seeing is concerning to me. So do you have uh, a hypothesis or a thesis for what, exactly is in the vaccine that is destroying this uh, bifidal bacteria? Well, I think the spike protein acts as a bifidophage, as a bacteriophage. I think it, it goes in and probably destroys the bacteria. So I think that's, that's the only explanation that I can see. And what's interesting is when you look at long haulers and vaccine injured, they've, they're very similar in their presentation. And I know people say, well, you know, COVID, you know, it's not COVID that, that caused, it's not the vaccine that caused that, it's COVID, right? But, you know, what if it was the spike protein in COVID that caused that, right? What if all this was a spike protein injury, right? And so therefore the spike protein is probably not the best solution as far as vaccination. If the spike is the issue, right, is the problem. Yes. And originally, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was being marketed that the vaccine and the spike protein would stay isolated into the part of your arm that it was injected. So the fact that it would be affecting uh, or the, the bacteria, bifidal bacteria in your gut is a bit alarming. Well, and this is, so this was the false, the mis- the misinformation, if you want to put it, uh, that was actually told and the poor marketing to sell a vaccine that anybody that's a scientist or a doctor with a critical mind should have 
really paid attention to that because nothing just stays in a deltoid, right? You put something on your skin, that skin is going to get, that thing is going to get absorbed by your blood and your blood is constantly traveling, you know, to the brain, to the heart, to the, and then eventually to the bowels. And then from that, the bowels, there's a circulation that occurs as well, right? So the concept of, well, the vaccine is only localized in a deltoid. Well, that would be great if the deltoid was by itself without any blood supply or nerve supply, but that doesn't happen because the human body is basically created that there's blood that circulates constantly and that brings all these microbes back to the colon to be, you know, re-looked at and either recirculate or put back into the dump, into the septic tanks. So I think that's... uh, you know, to a person that's basically doesn't know any anatomy, you know, that's a very, you know, interesting concept and a very, uh, you know, a narrative that's uh, very simplistic. However, uh, to anybody that's done biology or anatomy, they should know better to know that anything you put in your skin ends up in your gut, ends up in your heart, ends up in your, in your, all over the body, the body, the blood vessels circulate. Yeah. I mean, I'm not well-versed on biology or have a medical background, but that always seemed suspect to me. And that, I mean, that just dovetails into the whole overarching conversation of the, like you brought it up, misinformation. There was, there was an attack on doctors like yourself that is still ongoing to an extent, like we won't be able to post this on YouTube because it'll be considered medical misinformation by the uh, YouTube curators, uh, the, whether it be ivermectin uh, recommending that people take high doses of vitamin C as a preventative measure, uh, a preventative measure, hydroxychloroquine, uh, vitamin D, like for, for some reason or another, from the onset, it was always you got to get the vaccine. Well, you couldn't even talk about works. vitamin D or vitamin C; you'd get sued. I mean, you saw that physician that's getting sued by you know by the government for bringing up vitamin D. So I think there's there's definitely there was a misinformation campaign um, that was created to sell a stock, you know that's what it comes down to. Um, I think this is this has done a disfavor to humanity because we're not computers where we can just put an antivirus into the computer and then it stops, you know, and it starts working again. The human body is much more complex than that. So if you create a synthetic vaccine and you create a synthetic you know, uh, spike protein, that's not really gonna, the body's gonna recognize this as, as being foreign and the microbiome is gonna recognize this as being foreign and reject it and create a superbug to fight that non-natural um, spike protein. And that's basically what it is. So, you know, we talk about, um, you know, narratives and look who the narrative is coming from. I mean, you know, I, I'm arguing on Twitter with people that don't even have a medical degree or a biology degree for that matter. And so I have to constantly remind myself, wait a minute, I'm the MD with the education. Why am I arguing? I mean, it's like me arguing with a contractor about how to build my house. Well, I have no idea how to build a house, right? I've never done it. Why would I argue with a contractor, right? I wouldn't. So, you know, and and the thing is, the narrative has really gotten so, you know, disgusting to the point that when you see commercials now, I mean, this today, this morning, I saw the commercial of Martha Stewart Mm -hmm. uh, chopping a pineapple 
and basically saying, well, I'm so glad I got boosted. And the whole time I'm like, why is Martha Stewart, of all people, that doesn't have, you know, the best, you know, health-wise, right, looking at her, giving advice, for, first of all, giving advice, and second of all, um, she's not a medical do doctor. Why is she influencing people to get vaccinated and boosted? She should be influencing people on how to improve their microbiome, how to eat healthy, how to lose weight, because weight is what got us into this problem to begin with. So, you know, when I see that and I see that influence using a celebrity to influence people to get boosted, you know, I have a problem with that because we should be influencing people to get into health, to exercise, to lose weight, not to like keep eating, drinking, using drugs and 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 creating a system that is constantly a patient and and burning out the physicians that are trying to help these people because unfortunately so many diseases are on the rise and um you know it starts with obesity you know diabetes is on the rise it started with obesity you know i mean the fatty liver is on the rise it starts with obesity you know heart attacks etc so I think we have a job as society to be a little bit more conscientious. And I think, you know, it's time to stop the noise and stop the people that do not know what they're talking about to talk. They need to stop talking. I agree. But do you think, particularly in the last three years, it's, it seems like there was a divide driven in the medical community. You had that whole trust the science meme and it, like I've had many doctors on like yourself who are putting out messages very similar to the one that you're putting out now, but there does seem to be part of the medical community that is bought into the narrative being put forward by the world health organization, the FDA, the CDC, the big pharma companies. And from your perspective, has that created a lot of confusion and led people astray in the last few years, particularly? Uh, there's definitely been a division that was created, you know, marketing, marketing 101, if you want to sell something, you got to create division, right? Controversy sells, right? I mean, that's how, you know, when you see these people that have such polarizing personality, they, they're hated and they're loved. They're either loved or they're hated. There's no in between. But what happens is both parties are talking about them, right? Because the ones that are that hate them so much because of their polarizing personality are talking about them and the ones that love them so much are talking about them. So there's a controversy that gets created that gets that person that is polarized to be on stage. On top of that, you add, you know, controversial topics like, uh, you know, the gender, uh, like the politics, your, your, your favorite politics, your, then the race, you know, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and all that. That was all mixed into the whole pandemic. You know, if you'll remember, and I think it was during Delta, we had riots in California. And the whole time I thought, my God, I'm dealing with riots and I'm dealing with COVID and I'm risking my life on the front line. I mean, come on. It was just too much, right? But the whole movement was to kind of keep you on your toes, constantly fearful 
so that you can like just be controlled, right? Because the, the whole way of controlling a human being is to keep them constantly in fear so that they don't develop the strength to fight. And then essentially you can give them whatever you want or sell them whatever you want when they're in control. So that's what we saw. Yeah, there was no logical consistency. Thinking back to the protest of the summer of 2020, it was okay to go protest. I think they made an official statement that since they're outside. I mean, it was kind of funny because they, on one hand, they were saying everybody needs to be masked, everybody needs to be quarantined, but yet here we are protesting. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, it's just it was it was chaos. It was pure chaos. But again, you you know, they needed the chaos to kind of get their 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 distraction to get the distractions so that they could start, you know, manufacturing all these vaccines and start getting, you know, all the 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 plan into motion to sell, sell, sell. So, you know. Yeah. And they're still they're still pushing it. And they're pushing it on children, they're pushing it on pregnant women, but you seem to think that this vaccine campaign needs to stop. What I mean, I've had. Well, I think they. I think they stopped. Like yesterday, you know, there was uh, news that in California, the California, the mandates for children is done. Like it's over. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. So I think you know. I think it's going to stop. And I, listen, the thing is, they played with something they had no idea what they're doing, and it backfired. And not only that, it's backfiring it's going to backfire even worse because now the immunity of humanity is kind of messed up because um, we've killed a bunch of good microbes that were needed. And, you know, what's going to happen is there's going to be other bugs coming in that are much stronger, you know, and at that point, what do you do? You're going to create a vaccine for the next fungal infection that occurs because right now there's a bad fungal infections in the lung that's occurring. Right. So, I think at some point we got to just let doctors be doctors and step away from the whole, you know, drum over dramatizing uh, and give people confidence and hope that they're going to be fine because it's really about following the light and not the darkness. It's about having hope that we're going to be fine, regardless whether you were vaccinated or not vaccinated, you're going to be fine. I think we need to have that hope as humanity in order to heal enough of the fear factor, um, you know, whatever will be, will be. And, you know, people will deal with it and doctors will be on the front line taking care of patients like they always have, you know, taking care of heart attacks and taking care of GI bleeders. Um, you know, those have not disappeared. Uh, taking care of cancers, those have not disappeared. So, you know, we need to pay attention to those diseases now because, you know, COVID is something that just stopped and interfered with everything. Um, and it, and there's other people that are suffering. You know, mental health is through the roof right now. We need to deal with that. We need to help people through this mental crisis that is happening um, all around us. So, you know, this is time for healing. It's time to understand science, to do the science properly, and to and to basically bring balance back into the planet. Stop the destruction of good microbes. Well, on that topic, the destruction of good microbes, if the vaccines have uh, sort of dis destroyed some of the essential bacteria in people's biomes, is there a way to build that biome back up, introduce, reintroduce those essential bacteria and microbes to begin rebuilding your immunity? We just lose her. 
I think we're getting censored. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. All right, perfect. No, I was saying it's kind of like the Woolsey fire. If you remember the Woolsey fire, everything burnt and then life grew back again, right? Like plants grew back and tree, you know, everything started blooming again. I think in time, um, healing is going to happen. We just need to let it start rebuilding naturally. Oh, no. Lost her again. And... You know, we need research and we need to do the research properly, uh, in my opinion, and peacefully and not have interruptions with the media and all that. Because I think uh, the days of, of pharmaceutical companies interfering with the media and sponsoring everything, I think, are done, in my opinion. We really need to be a voice as people to say, enough, we don't want to hear about the commercials on television or in the radio. It's a relationship between me and my doctor, and I wanna have that discussion with me and my doctor. Because I think the moment that pharmaceutical companies took it away from the patient-doctor relationship and took it to the media, we left the doctor out of the discussion and essentially the patient became the director of their health without really knowing all the complications that could happen with these drugs. So what drives you? I mean, these are they're not controversial to me, but many people, many doctors that I've spoken to seem to be afraid to express these ideas publicly due to the backlash they may face from their hospital system or just other professionals in their industry. What, what drives you? You seem very passionate about all this. Uh, what drives me is I've been hit multiple times along my career. You know, I've had multiple roadblocks as a woman gastroenterologist. You know, I was the first woman to be accepted at University of Florida. Somebody said, oh, we don't take women in GI. And I said, well, I guess I'll be your first one. And then, you know, from every little challenges that someone gives me, well, you don't need to look at the microbiome. We've already looked at it. Well, I guess I'm going to be looking at it, right? So, you know, every time I, I have a chip on my shoulder. And that chip on my shoulder, I think, stems from, you know, being a young immigrant girl that came from Morocco and grew up in Montreal and uh, moved to California and became a Malibu physician. And so that chip on my shoulder moves me. And when somebody, you know, is telling me, well, you need to do this or you can't work, you need to get this or you can't practice, then I say, well, I'm not going to do this because my freedom matters more than anything and my life matters more than anything. So I'm very, very driven by um, freedom of choice. I'm very driven by that. I think that's my, my sole passion in medicine is really, you know, patients should have a choice on whatever they want to do to their bodies if they're dying. That's my opinion. If you're dying and you want to try X, Y, Z, Nobody should come in between you and XYZ if you made an informed consent. And the fact that that's not happening and we're not allowing people to have that freedom of choice or to make a proper informed consent, and we've certainly seen that with this vaccine, that's what really woke me up to ask the question, well, is the vaccine the only solution? Is the vaccine the only narrative? 
Um, so, of course, as a scientist, you know, the, the whole purpose of being a scientist is to is to defy the narrative, is to basically go where no one goes. If you're if everybody goes to the right, then you're never going to find the answers because otherwise someone would have found it in the right side. So you want to look at the left where nobody's looking because that may be where the answers are. So I'm very I'm not controversial. I'm just I, I'm going to take the other side. I'm always going to look at the other side because if everybody's jumping off the bridge, why do I have to join them in jumping off the bridge, right? Let me find the shortcut not to jump off the bridge (laughs) and get to my destination. So I think that's in nature. That's in my nature. That's in my personality. Um, You know, and really, again, it's the chip on my shoulder, you know. So I I, I believe in freedom to choose what you want to believe in. If you want to believe in God, great. If you don't, great. That's your choice. If you want to love X, Y person, it's your choice. You know, I believe in choices and freedom to choose. So here we are, you know, we're, we're asking humanity to start, you know, becoming more liberal in our, you know, not tagging people by genders. Um, But here we are also you know, tagging them by race and by religion. So, you know, it's a bit hypocritical in my opinion. It is. It is. It's good to know that there's doctors like yourselves that aren't lemmings out there who will just jump off the cliff with everybody else and seek seek out truth. That was the most frustrating part of the last three years was just the complete uh, obstruction of anybody looking for the truth in all this when it was so no, so raw to think that the establishment had all the answers right away is just very alarming. And, and they forget that the establishment is actually asking for answers to the people that are doing the research like me, myself, you know. When we have complications in research and clinical trials, you know, I've been doing clinical trials for almost three decades. Uh, when we have complications in research, we basically go to the, we go to the FDA and we tell them, hey, we noticed a complication with this medication. Obviously, if we didn't tell them about this complication, the FDA would not know about it, right? So they expect us to tell them what we're seeing, right? So when the voice of the person that's conducting the research or the clinical trial is not being heard and it's being censored and we can't even get to the FDA to be heard, there's a problem. Because ultimately, you know, people at the FDA will tell you, you know, they expect the doctors on the front line of research to tell them, you know, the side effects. They don't, you know, they, they're not waiting for pharma to tell them because pharma is not going to necessarily tell them the side effects because it's going to affect their bottom line, their stocks, right? But they expect us as physicians to be the vigilante. So that's what I've always been and that's what I intend to stay. Um, you know, I'm not here to sugarcoat if a problem, if there's a problem from a medication, I'm going to mention it. You know, I'm the person that basically if a patient is coughing up blood after a medication, I'm going to call the FDA and say this medication causes coughing of blood. And then it's up to the FDA to investigate and look it up. Um, but you know, that's what we, that's what it's called to do good research and to be ethical in research. Otherwise, medications pass. And guess what? 
if you're that person that's in a pharmaceutical company and you are doing nefarious things, eventually somebody's going to pass a bad drug that's going to affect your kid or yourself. So, you know, karma is a weird thing. It comes around. So it's best to just stay righteous and do the right thing because unfortunately, you know, if you interfere with research when you're the patient, it's going to affect you. Yes. Yes. Doing the uh, the right thing didn't seem to be what most people were doing, particularly in the medical community in the last few years. So again, just very thankful for the work that you've been doing. And I know you've got to go here soon, but I think uh, just more broadly, speaking of the microbiome, uh, like what uh, you obviously wrote a book, Let's Talk Shit, uh, about the microbiome and its importance. But, but again, I, I think there is an area, this is an area that, that many people are uh, a bit ignorant to. What what are some of the, the top things people should understand about the microbiome, how they can improve their gut bacteria and how they should be monitoring that if possible? So I think right now, all we know and what I recommend to everyone is basically don't over abuse anything, you know, keep your body in balance, not only in stress, but in peace. And and so if you're high strong and you work hard and you're super stressed, then take some time off to just decompress and, and, and kind of like, you know, decrease that stress level. So, you know, I'm a big work hard, play hard person. Um, also, you know, what you intake in your foods, make sure that what you're taking in is does not have a ton of pesticides, does not have a ton of toxins, does not have a ton of metals, you know, be very conscientious of the foods you're eating, um, because and where they're coming from and whether they're real, um, or synthetic or have GMOs or, you know, have, don't overdo it on anything. Don't overdo salt. Don't overdo sugar. Um, take your vitamins, take your, your, you know, your vitamin D, make sure your levels are above 50. I like a level of above 50 in my patients. Um, make sure that if you're deficient in vitamin C, probably take on some vitamin C. That glass of orange juice is probably not going to be enough. Um, you know, and then your zinc, your magnesium, your, you know, your copper. So all those need to be, you know, monitored at some point to just make sure you're not nutritionally deficient. Because I think the most common reason why people are sick is they're nutritionally deficient to be to begin with. And then, you know, of course, don't overdo it with alcohol. Don't overdo it with drugs. Don't overdo it with antibiotics if you don't need to. You know, a lot of infections are viral and don't necessarily need antibiotics. And, you know, kind of toughen up the body a little bit. Exercise is very important. Intermittent fasting is very good as it decreases, as it increases your bifidobacteria, actually and also will decrease your weight and it's sustainable weight loss. So, you know, I think on the whole, those are the recommendations that I make. As far as like, you know, testing the microbiome, we are not there yet. There's a lot of companies that are selling commercial samples, but those samples really don't mean anything because let's face it, there's a lot of microbes out there and we don't know what they do at this point or at this stage of the game. We're at the beginning of the research on the microbiome and disease. We are doing it. We're doing 57 clinical trials on the microbiome and every disease. So we're looking at you know, the, the, you know, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, Parkinson's, autism, Alzheimer's, looking for markers 
in those diseases, but also looking at the races, the populations, you know, a Japanese in Japan versus a Japanese in America, a person that's vegan versus a person that's vegetarian versus a person that's meat eater, you know, which population should be a meat eater versus a vegetarian and, and essentially doing it clinically because, you know, these artificial uh, intelligence, unfortunately, are not the doctor. Um, you know, you need a doctor to take the proper history from the patients. A lot of patients will drink alcohol and say they don't drink alcohol, but it's up to the doctor to get that history from the patient. Because if the patient drinks alcohol, that screws up your whole, rec- your whole um, you know, um, pipeline into diagnosing properly what's going on with those patients. So I think that's, uh, that's as far as commercial testing. We're not there Eventually we will be, but we're not there. This is the beginning. Um, I'm hopeful, you know, I think this is, COVID has lit up a lot of things for us. Uh, It has lit up that a virus can possibly cause coagulopathies. It has lit up that a virus could possibly uh, cause autoimmune processes. Um, It has lit up um, neurological and it has kind of lit up the whole gut brain access when you see people having uh Tourette's I had a young girl with Tourette's syndrome Tourette's like syndrome who basically um had COVID in her stools for six months we treated her we we removed the COVID and basically her Tourette's symptoms um Tourette's like symptoms disappeared so that was very um that was a great case because it really lit up the whole brain gut access, you know, and at the same time, as I was taking care of COVID, I also had a kid with autism that I had submitted an IND to the FDA and we did the case and the kid improved with fecal transplant using his sister. So that there's a lot of, you know, hope out there and promise out there. Looking at the microbiome, obviously it's going to be very challenging and difficult to find these great stool donors. Um, but I'm hopeful that as we understand these microbes better, their interactions better, that we're going to be able to find out what's missing and replenish just what's missing rather than just doing fecal transplant, which is the process of taking stools from a healthy donor and putting it into an unhealthy. So I think that's on a whole, that's what drives me. I see the future is bright and I see that there's going to be a lot of healing in the future. And we just need to unite together and understand these microbes because the process of dying and and the process of the body being decomposed with micro, you know, microbes decompose our bodies and puts us back into the dirt, right? So we better understand these microbes before they do that because they have the power, you know, when a virus shut out humanity and humanity was in quarantine, the virus had the power. So it is... You know, we need to be humble to realize that there's a force out there that is stronger, stronger than we are, and that we need to basically understand it and live with it rather than destroy it. So, yes, that's what drives me. Well, thank you. I appreciate, number one, you taking some time to do this. Number two, getting the message out there um, that there are different ways to approach this, because I do think that the vaccine campaigns, even though they are winding down, it seems have been terribly misguided. And, and I do think focus on preventative care, good diet, good exercise, taking care of yourself was something that was swept under the rug vigorously. And uh, there were 
counterproductive measures, particularly lockdowns that were put in place that really didn't even give people a chance to to become healthier, to, to prevent adverse effects from COVID in the first place. So Dr. Hazen, appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're an extremely busy woman, so um, I hope you have a great rest of your afternoon. And I guess before we go here, where can anybody listening to this find out more information about what you're doing, your book, uh, where you, they can find you on social media? So uh, my book is Let's Talk Shit on Amazon. I highly recommend it for everyone. There's a lot of good diets, good tips. You know, we've had some great reviews on it. Um, my website is progenabiome.com, P-R-O-G-E-N-A-B-I-O-M-E.com. It's, it was named that way from your gene to your microbes, essentially. So progena is like your progenity, your, your genes to your biome. So progenabiome.com. And um, I'm on so I'm on Twitter, tweeting. You know, probably controversial for some, but you know, illuminating for others. Um, Sabine Hayes in MD. You can find me. And there's a lot of videos. There's a lot of our papers on the microbiome on Progenabiome website. Um, and so anybody that wants to educate themselves, I'm easily reachable. You know, people. PM me all the time on Twitter. So happy to answer all questions or anything like that. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. No, the pleasure is all mine. Hopefully we can do this again at some point in the future. Perfect. That would be lovely. Thank you. Awesome. Have a great day. That's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love. You too.